live from the J.C. Newman Cigar Studios in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Smokin' Tobacco Show with your hosts, Matt Tobacco and Smokin' Nicole. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Smokin' Tobacco Show live from the J.C. Newman Cigar Studios in Boston, Massachusetts. My name is Matt Tobacco from SmokinTobacco.com, and I'm joined once again by my beautiful fiance. Smoking Nicole, and we have a very special guest with us here tonight. We have the one and only Class Kellner, uh, now of Kellner Tobacco. Class, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me, Matt. Thank you for having me, Nicole. It's a pleasure. Um, very excited to be on, uh, especially since uh, last time uh, we saw each other in Vegas. That real quick moment. Yeah, I'm very excited to get on this show since that moment. Yeah, it was very quick, um, and uh, I didn't even see you coming. I think we were, I think we were being interviewed or something. You passed us by, and I was like, "Oh, hey!" And like, I didn't even know you were there, um, but I knew I had to. I knew I had to connect with you in some way, and I figured, why not just come on the show, and uh, we can do it there. So we're really happy that you came on with us tonight. We're excited that you're here. Uh, John Carney is not with us tonight. Um, as he was feeling under the weather, so he's going to set this one out. No, yep. b- no big deal. Um, so we are. Uh, why don't we get into what we're smoking first, really quick? Let's let's do that. Um, sorry, hold on one second. As I just <laughs> pull this up, I, I almost I forgot to open this tab here. Um, so, class, why don't you start off? Why don't you tell us what you're smoking? You're the guest, um, and then we'll go from there. Well. Today I decided to go with something that's very close and dear to my heart and my family's heart, and it's uh, the Davidoff Yamasa. Ah. Uh. Here I have the box. Right there. And with the star. Here I also have a packet. But it's um. That's a great it's cigar. It's very special to us. Yeah, it's very very special to us uh, because of how much work we've put into. Uh, the particular farm where Yamasa is, and uh, the tobacco that comes out of there is very, very special. We'll probably get into that, and but specifically because of the soil. And when you have a passion project that your family puts so much effort into it, uh, it's impossible. It's impossible to not like it. But definitely was something that I I wanted to smoke on your show because I wanted to talk a little bit about it. But it's also become my favorite. And I is the one I have the most boxes of lying around. <laughs> yeah, it's I've had that cigar. It is a great cigar. Um, you know, the, the the Davidoff portfolio as a whole is very you know very robust and and pretty good. I actually I'm going to be smoking an uh, Davidoff Anniversary Number Three Seven O Two Series mm. uh, right over here. Um, that honestly, I don't even know where it came from. I don't. <laughs> I found it in the humidor, and I was like, I don't remember buying this or like someone giving it to me i'm like i don't even know how this got here but i was happy that i have it uh, i'll be honest um and our friends at two guys cigars.com if you want to get any davidoff cigars you should head over to two guys cigars that's the number two cigars.com uh you can pick up this cigar for uh 27.99 for a single or 264.99 for a box and nicole you are, what are you smoking over there um the anniversario uh, the anniversario. That was yes. my first cigar. I believe that's the number three. Yes. Yep. Um, that was my first Davidoff ever. Was it? It was. It was my first one. 
and that is the that is the cigar that I fell in love with Davidoff with. Um, I remember I was at, I was actually at Two Guys Cigar the Two Guys Smoke Shop rather uh, their brick and mortar store um, when when I had it I'll never forget it it was in the beginning of my cigar smoking days years ago and I was like I want to try something a little nicer higher end quality I had heard of Davidoff I'd never had one didn't know anything about it. That was the cigar that brought me into Davidoff, and it, it's been one of my all-time favorite cigars ever since. Um, that cigar also can be found at twoguyscigars.com for $27.79 um, for a single, as well as um, $4.23.99 for the box uh, at the number twoguyscigars.com. Um, so, class, there's there's a lot of things we can talk about. There's a lot of things we can get into. Um Obviously, you, you've started your own company now with Kellner Tobacco. Uh, your family, um, you know, has worked with Davidoff for many years. I know you do. You still do some work with Davidoff, even though you guys are not officially employees of the company anymore. Um, you know, yep. your, your father being also a, a master blender for Davidoff. Um, I don't even know where to start here. There's so, there's so much <laughs> good stuff that we could get into. Why don't well, we start with you? Start. I was going to say, we could start with you, and we can talk about what you're doing, and then we can go back. Yeah. Well, you you hit it on the nail right, right now. Um, I did start my own company uh, almost a year ago now. Uh, it's called Counter Tobac. Um, and basically, I uh, with this company, I service Davidoff as an external advisor, an external consultant. And for many years with Davidoff, what I was doing, I, I worked in the factory, I worked in the farms, but then a big chunk of it was also traveling for them as brand ambassador. And a lot of these uh, events that I was doing in the market, at different retails, uh, traveling around the world, I got to see a little bit of the marketing end. And I think the fit that I am as, as an advisor right now is pretty cool because I get to bring in that knowledge from the market and then tie it in with the knowledge of working in the factory and also learning how to blend and looking at different tobaccos. And I helped Davidoff basically combine both the knowledge of the market and the knowledge of tobacco so that they can communicate properly um, to the consumer. And it's something that is pretty fun. Of course, my family still works with tobacco, so we still have the Yamasa farm, and we still have the Hikome farm, which is my mother's farm, and we grow tobacco for Davidoff. And, and that's how we still tie it in. Uh, my father, as of uh, one year ago, is no longer with Davidoff. He just grows tobacco for Davidoff. And it's it's been a pretty nice gig ever since. And now I'm back in DR and it's not so bad. I don't have to travel as much. <laughs> so just for clarification, I guess. Um, so is all of Davidoff's tobacco from your family or is... No, no, no. That would be a lot of tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I know a lot of know, people... I know a lot of people get this kind of... I, well, maybe not everyone, but there's a large portion of people who, and I, I, I this is why I kind of brought this up specifically. There's a large portion of people who, ha who kind of have this assumption that you guys are the only um, purveyors of the tobacco for Davidoff, but that's not the case. No, no. Davidoff works with a uh, contract base for farmers, so they contract out farmers around Dominican Republic, and they uh, Davidoff basically controls or oversees about 15 different zones or 15 different soils uh, terroirs that provide different flavors 
and then they mix and match different varieties of tobaccos to these different zones. Uh, at some point, Davidoff has had you know, over 70 farmers just in the Dominican Republic uh, contracted for them providing tobacco. Uh, but the two most important farms are my family's. Uh, especially the Yamasa one and, and the Hikome one is the one that everybody knows. It's the one that you see on the pictures, the one that when people come and visit. That's the one that they visit. Right. Uh, that one has been around now for since 1996. Wow. Wow. So it, it's it's that one. That one is a little smaller than the Yamasa farm, but it's the famous one. You know, it's the one that is everywhere. And you could also have to look at the point that. Davidoff doesn't only just use Dominican tobaccos. Davidoff uses tobaccos from uh, Nicaragua, from Mexico, from Ecuador. Uh, a lot of tobacco, especially in the wrapper from Ecuador. Uh, so they are getting uh, supplied from different suppliers and some very big players in the industry. And there was a time, not, I don't know, maybe the younger audience might not know this, but there was a time when Davidoff also had uh, Cuban cigars made under the Davidoff name which was ended around, I want to say that was 1991, they ceased Cuban production. Yes. Um, so yeah. at, at one point in time, you know, they, they even had, there was Davidoff Cuban cigars. Um, now, I know that uh, you, you know, your father obviously being a master blender, you, you mentioned you being on the farms and then the factories and all that and growing up in that, you know, in that family with that experience. So far for you, what, what has been the best part of the industry you know, growing up in it and being so involved and, and uh, the, the things you've learned over the years about tobaccos, cigars, from seed from seed to cigar, as they say, you know, what what is like the part that just really, that's like the romance for you? Mm. Well, I was going to say something else first, but then you said <laughs> romance. <laughs> because the, the romance for me is definitely in the farm. I think that's my favorite part. Uh, actually being able to see something grow from i mean some a seed that looks like dust and it's so many seeds that you can just have in the palm of your hand and this seed grows to 20 million times its original weight a plant of two kilos in a matter of 45 60 a matter of 100 and 105 days and it's impressive to see uh something that you nurture grow and something that you take care of and then you have wind and you have storms and you're you have no rain and you go through so many troubles and then at, at the end when you finally harvest it and then it dries and you have a finished product that you can actually give to Davidoff or give to a company to roll into a cigar that's my favorite part uh, but the, the other side of the coin is the people uh, not only in the factory in the farms but also in the market because this is a very tight-knit community and the cigar industry is just one big family. Uh, it doesn't matter if your competitors out there in the market uh, fighting for shelf space at a store. You're all friends at the end of the day. And I'm friends with a lot of manufacturers, with a lot of farmers. And it's just a very nice industry that makes you want to be part of. I don't, I don't know anything else. This is the only thing I could do. And I'm actually very surprised when I see like kids of uh, uh, tobacco families that don't go into the, into the business hmm. because this is such a beautiful business, and it everybody that I meet just wants me to be part of it. 
You know, it's interesting you say that because the, the especially the cigar uh, part of the tobacco business, you know, the most, um, is a very family-oriented business. A lot of these brands are family-owned businesses that go back, you know, multi-generations, you know, as, you know, you are a multi-generation uh, in your family in the tobacco business. Um, and for the most part, I'll, I'll, there's a, I would say a majority of those brands have been handed down to the next generation. We, we, yep. we see it, you know, with... You know, people like the Fuente family, the Perdomo family, you know, the Casada family. You know, those those are generations that are coming down and they're they're passing the torch. Um, and I think that's the part of the business I love too. I love how family oriented it is. I love how, no matter how big some of these companies get, like that family core is still there, uh, and that's kind of what holds it all together. And it just it makes the experience, I think, just. You know the icing on the cake. Really, just we, you, know, you hear the story of the brand and the cigar specifically that you're smoking and where it came from and how it came to be. That whole family aspect is really important. Um, now, I know that you said that you are. I believe you said you're a third generation. Yeah, you're a third, third generation. generation. So your grandfather obviously was in the uh, business as well. Um, now, being a third generation. Uh, you know, and you mentioned, you know, that there's other people you you surprised to see don't don't stay in the tobacco business. They go do other things. There's not many. There's not many, but there are. There are. Uh, but you know, you obviously continuing that tradition. Um, in today's day and age, in the current state of the premium cigar industry, uh, from your eyes, from your point of view, uh, where where do you see this industry going? And are you happy with the current state of the cigar industry? Well, if you can look at it different ways, but if you look at it from the restrictions and the regulations, it's, it's very alarming. And sometimes when you talk to the uh, older generations and they look to their kids, uh, you, you will quite often hear somebody joke. And sometimes they're a little serious. Sometimes they just say it to say it. But they'll tell their kids or they'll tell the next generations, like, why are you getting into this tobacco business? It's so hard. It's getting harder. It's getting harder. There's more regulations. It's harder to enter into the market. And uh, there's things that are easier. And from that perspective, I know the reason why we stay. And it's because we love it. You know, there's, like I said, there's nothing else that we could not see ourselves doing. I'm talking for everybody that is third generation, fourth generation, and wants to be part of it, even though it gets harder. And maybe harder isn't bad. Harder makes you love it more. You know, the, the harder the crop was, the more proud you are of it at the end, and the more difficulties you had. So if you can power through all the difficulties, all these regulations, then you'll be happier at the end. You'll be more satisfied with your success. So hopefully, I wish success to everybody that, wants to jump in this business and this industry because it's not getting easier. But what I do notice from the other side is that even though it's not getting easier in the side of regulations, in the side of uh, the industry as a family, uh, you will see sales and you'll see sales that are more or less plateaued or slightly growing and different countries and different uh, territories vary. Some go down, some go up. And, for example, Latin America is a predominant Cuban market, but you'll see that cigars from Dominican Republic and Nicaragua are growing. And you see that also with social media, 
the younger generation is jumping on the cigar train. And so it is quite uplifting and it is encouraging to see a lot of younger generations uh, jumping in sooner because before cigars were for the older folk, or the people that had money. And it doesn't seem like that anymore. I remember when I was growing up as a teenager, you know, son of a master blender who owns a factory, uh, all my friends from high school were like, ooh, you're around smoke, you're around tobacco. Because in school, what do they teach you? It's bad for you. And they're brainwashed in that kind of sense. But then those same friends that during high school were like, oh, it's bad for you, it's bad for you. Now they've become their own person. They don't have somebody in school telling them what's right or what's wrong. And you see them enjoying a cigar. Yeah. And you, you see the younger generation becoming their own person and deciding what's right for them and what's not good for them. And it's, it's growing in our generation. In, in the 20s and the 30s, you see a lot of young people just enjoying a good cigar. So that's uplifting. You know, I just want to touch on one thing because you bring up a good point. Now, me and you have talked about this earlier. Um, and you actually you brought up the fact that we don't bring it up enough on the show. So we'll bring it up. <laughs> that was the feedback we got from Classic Calendar. <laughs> Not a lot of people realize. I mean, our, I think our, our our most of our following, I think, just knows this. But maybe maybe they don't. Maybe they, I don't know. Uh, so you were intrigued at the fact, like most people, that my last name actually is Tobacco. Um, and it was funny. We were talking about that earlier. So, uh, again, as a reminder, uh, yes. My last name really is Tobacco. Uh, it's slightly spelled differently. It, it's T-A-B-A-C-C-O, hence why it's spelled wrong. Uh, I as thought it, it was a mistake. <laughs> no, that wasn't for That's you. That's why I asked. That wasn't for you. That's why I asked. <laughs> a lot of people are always like, wow. And I'm like... Well, that's how my name is spelled. And they're like, well, it's spelled wrong. And I'm like, well, but that's what my name is. And then you see them put two and two together. Like, wait a minute. Really? That's like actually your name? Yes. Yes. That's kind of the whole romance to what we're doing here. And then it's like, oh, the light bulb goes off. Uh, no, it's funny. You're talking about kids in school, like growing up, you know, saying those things to you, you know, your family being the tobacco business. Growing up, everyone made fun of me for my last name. And now here I am. And I made a whole life around what my name is actually being, you know, I heard the, oh, do you smoke tobacco? Well, I do. And so who's laughing now? You know what I mean? Uh, I, you know, I just, I learned to, to just go with it. So uh, I wanted to bring that up because uh, we did talk about that earlier. But yeah, no, it's, 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 it's quite the journey that you guys have had. Uh, we did have a question from the audience. Um, Rick G wanted to know, do they grow tobacco? For anyone else besides Davidoff, my family. Yep. No, my fa no, we are actually uh, exclusive. Um, in regards to my father, uh, my mother, me, we are exclusive to Davidoff. But when I say my family, um, there's also another tobacco grower in my family. It's Monica, my sister, mm -hmm. and uh, tobacco grower and broker. And she does excellent job, and her tobacco is actually quite good from Kotui and also in Yamasa as well. And she grows well for other people. Uh, one of those people being my brother, who owns the Kellner Boutique Factory. Ah, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the um, I would say you know the Kellners have been pretty synonymous with Davidoff for for quite some time now. Um, you know. Growing up, you know, I, you know, with your father, you know, being a blender, 
you know, what was that experience like, you know, to work with, with your own father and learn like his trade? And this is something that like I, you know, for a lot, not a lot of people realize I, I'm kind of in the same boat. You know, I, I have the same profession as my dad and I, you know, spent in an apprenticeship, you know, learning uh, that, that craft from him as well. Uh, and I know that's a very special bond, no matter what the industry is, whether it's tobaccos or it's it, whatever it is. You learn something like that from anyone. It's it's a good skill to know. But when you learn from your own family, your father or like a grandfather, um, it, it makes it a, it's a much different experience. And it's also it can be very rewarding, too. So tell me a little bit about like kind of growing up in that atmosphere and working with him one on one and learning things from him. It's it's a very nice environment working your, with your father because uh, he, he – your father in this position has it very tough because the father wants the son or the daughter to uh, learn, to really w- learn work ethic, but they also want them to grow and sometimes grow rather quickly. And I think my father did – almost the opposite he threw me at the bottom and he made me carry bales of tobacco he made me spend months in the farm he made me spend three months in the fermentation piles sorting tobacco uh, cutting tobacco into little pieces with guillotines and uh, things that were right down at the bottom and I did this for about a year and a half and then he told me that if I really wanted to learn I wanted I had to go and travel so I became uh, junior brand ambassador back then in 2015 and I traveled around the world doing events I think that's the first time I really got a corporate feel because I was working in the United States uh, for Davidoff USA mm-hmm. before that I was working in the factory and in the factory with my father I didn't get I don't I didn't get the corporate feel and I appreciate both because uh, corporate can definitely sometimes be slow with the emails and the, in, in the yard in the factory you solve everything with a phone call or you walk over to the guy's office and you fix everything in five minutes you have a problem you, you make a call you walk over you fix it in the corporate world you got to schedule a meeting right everybody has to be available Every, you have to be more organized the emails the schedules and I appreciate both sides of it but with my dad there was always that moment that I could literally just kind of forget about work walk into his office and just sit down smoke a cigar and have a coffee or I would go to work in the same car I would carpool with my dad sometimes if if, if it made sense and I would walk straight into the office 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning and the first thing he would sit in the in the, in the chair light up a cigar and I would have to go make him his coffee I would have to go get him his lighter get him his cutter and set him up so that he could start his day so the first 30 minutes of the day would be with my dad and then the last 30 minutes of the day would be with my dad and then we would talk about everything that happened during the day it it, it was fun it, it was not easy at times but it, it was fun i remember that he sent me to where we received the filler tobacco from the farms so right after the harvest is over right after the curing process Davidoff purchases all the tobacco and I was there for about two to three months and we were sorting tobacco and when I went there I went almost like an undercover boss I didn't have my badge on me you know, <laughs> I, I, nothing, 
And even though some people knew me, those people that knew me, the supervisor, I asked them not to tell the workers who it was. And I was able to keep up the gig for about a month before somebody realized who I was. And the moment they realized who I was, that I was the son of the boss, their demeanor around me and the way they treated me completely changed. And oh, they yeah. started treating me nice and they started, they didn't want me to carry heavy things or get dirty. And the experience completely wasn't the same. So it's, it's not easy balancing that position as the son of the boss because you really want to learn and you really want to get the most out of it without getting special treatment. Yeah, I was going to say that the other thing is the special treatment. You know, I, I know for me, you know, in, in my job, you know, a lot of the times, you know, like everyone knows who my dad is. He's, he's a pretty well-known guy, you know, in, in our field. We work for the same company. And so it's always like people see me. It's, it's hey, how you doing? And then it's, how's your dad? So it's always like my dad's always like the topic of conversation, um, yep. you know, and, and, and and I've often been like, you know, people try to like compare you to and see like, well, you know, um, and then there's obviously the other people around you who they don't know who you are and they don't care. But then once they do, you're right. It's like a switch. It just changes. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, and they're all nice. They don't want you to say anything bad about them to the boss or they don't, you know, they, they, they you're right. And then and in some aspects, it's kind of like you're trying to be your own person. And you're trying to grow yep. within your own, you know, you know, way. And, and that, that is more of a challenge, you know, because you have to kind of you have to learn to grow past the uh, stigma. I don't know is if the right way to say that of like just being like the son of somebody, whether it's the boss or just, you know, anybody uh, and being looked upon differently just because of that, regardless of maybe how you know knowledgeable you are, how good at your job you are, like. You know, you, people may look at you funny, like, oh, they get special treatment, or oh, he only got that because of this. You have to learn to just ignore that. It's something that I, I know I dealt with in the beginning. It was like, yeah. I got in my own head. And I'm sure at some points you were there too. Uh, but you learn to move I, past I, that and just, and just you know, grow on after that. Yeah, it's it's been very interesting, right? And I, I decided to do college as soon as possible, as fast as possible. I, I finished half a semester early. I was trying to do summer classes, trying to <laughs> take on extra credits so I could finish as soon as possible so I get could get to work. I graduated December 2013. So I guess that's now it's been over eight years since, uh, almost nine now, since I've been in the industry working officially. And uh, I think now I'm starting to get to the point where I don't have so much of the shadow and it's still there. I still have, I'm still referred to as Hanky son from time to time, but sometimes I've, I've been called, I've, they've called my dad classes dad now. And when that <laughs> happens the first time, my dad is like, what? <laughs> when did that happen? You know, and, and then I get to do shows on my own, but you still got to keep that respect and that hierarchy. He's still number one. He's still my boss. He's still my dad and, but my boss. And I remember that I was um, I was asked to be on an interview for Latino Aficionado, and and I they called me. They wanted me to be in the interview in their first magazine, and I said one. I said yes, I'll be in your magazine. But the first thing is first. My dad goes first. He's like, wait, no, we're asking you to be in the magazine. I was like, no, 
my dad goes first or I can be on it with him but my dad goes first it's always keeping that respect because I'm not anything if it weren't for him you know that's a very interesting and, and I and I like that a lot I like I like that approach that you took it, it's it's not something I don't think I've seen uh a lot of other people do where you're like you know what like I'd be honored but I want you to have him first and then I'll come in or we can do it together but like you never want to just be like oh hey I got the call and you didn't you know hey and mm-hmm. it's like well you're only getting the call because of me and, and, and in a nice way it, it's it's like you said it's true you know I mean there's there's opportunities you have because of your dad I'd, that's a uh wow that's a really uh it's a respectful touch that's interesting I like that um before we continue, I forgot, we do have to hit our news. Yes. Um, so let's hit our news really quick. Uh, our news is brought to you this week, once again, by our good friends at McAuliffe Cigars. McAuliffe Cigars, become an ambassador today. If you head over to McAuliffeCigars.com, you can sign up to be an official ambassador, get your ambassador number, your ambassador coin. And while you're there, you can sign up for the McAuliffe Tasting Passport Program um, with opportunities to win amazing prizes from McAuliffe Cigars. What do we have this week? So I would say um, the most talked about news this week, thank you, I always forget about that, um, is that out of Miami, over 75,000 cigars were stolen from the CLE warehouse Mm. on Saturday night, Mm -hmm. overnight. That is a lot of cigars to walk away with (laughs) and steal in one outing. Now, if I remember correctly, too, also included in that, with some of the cigars from Patoro, yes, which CLE also warehouses um, for that. Well, not not all of their stuff. I believe it's it's some of their stuff, but some of that was in, involved in the theft as well. Um, most of them were from the Asylum brand, um, is what was reported. Yeah, the Asylum Eight, the Asylum Thirteen, the Insidious, um, CLE, Connecticut, Corojo Habano, Iroa, CBT, Lobotomy, Medulla. Yeah, uh, a lot of those, you know good brands uh yeah it's a shame yeah that's all and you know when i first read that i was like that's a lot of cigars even for even if you had a small team that's a lot of cigars for someone to steal so discreetly overnight um i mean i don't even know it it, how many how many was it Seventy-five thousand. Seventy-five thousand. actual that's uh, that that's about three people's three rollers so a pair and a half uh, three people's work for the entire year. Wow. To put that so, into perspective. But, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So the average, so you break that down, simple math, the average roller would roll about 25,000 cigars a year. It, it, well, in Dominican Republic, uh, that's about it. It's about a pair of 50,000. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot. And, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a shame for Christian Aroa. For his e- team. Yeah, yeah, for Aroa everyone at and CLE. Uh, everyone at CLE and, and Tom Lazuka and I, I was actually I was talking to those guys today uh, that they're uh, Tom and Christian are going to be separately coming on the show coming up. Um, but yeah, I mean that it, it's horrible. And not only that, but you, you just think about like there's so many. There's, like I have so many questions. It's like you steal that many cigars, right? Like what are you planning on doing with them? That, that's a lot of cigars to have to move. You know what I mean? And no one's keeping all of that for their personal supply. And it's just, yeah. where are you keeping them? And also people <laughs> like, are, you know, I mean, that's a lot of cigars. Um, one, it's a lot of cigars, but you know, if someone is going to sell them, you know, obviously these are going to be missing from a lot of retailer shelves. So if they're putting them yeah. online or, you know, it'll be, I mean, I guess once it's, it goes through many different hands, I guess it'll be hard to trace, but you know, the worst part is, you know, 
not only is you know it's it, it's it's um oh my god it's revenue it's lost revenue it's lost inventory you know there's already a shortage on inventory everyone's backed up everyone's trying to fight to keep up with demand there's an incredible demand right now you know especially with everything that happened last year that really backed everything up you know and then to have a, a large chunk of your you know your stock stolen like that it really sets you back and like you said you know that there's retail shelves that you know there's retailers who who sell through those who are, who are itching to, to refill their inventory and you know they get in at the warehouse they get it in from you know honduras and uh and now it's like hey we were going to ship you that order you're waiting for for like three months and oh it got stolen i don't know i gotta we're working to try and get that replaced and get it out to you know as a retailer too you know that, that kind of it, it like everything it's a it's a downhill effect it affects everyone and it's just so unfortunate you know it, it it really sucks. It really does just to see that, you know, because it, it hurts a lot of really good people um, in the industry, you know, who, who rely on that, that inventory. It's really horrible. Um, I believe last year, too, I think um, I think Husto Aroa had some inventory stolen last year, if I remember correctly, too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is the this is the second time that family's been hit uh, within a short window. That's it's really tough. And it's very unfortunate. Um but you know, ho we ho we wish them the best, um, and we ho we hope that they can uh, they can move on from that as the best way they can. Um, so that was our new segment for the week. Um, going back yeah. to, to going back to class here. Uh, you know, I say I say that every time something bad happens to a cigar, somebody cries in the Medicare public or one of the rollers. So I mean, I I, well, I I try to put into that perspective because of that. Like three rollers work for the full year just gone to waste in, in that sense you know and it it's it's sad from the people that make it from it's also sad for everybody else but imagine putting all your blood sweat and tears and just so much effort into making something and just got stolen it's a handmade crafted product you know absolutely easy. i could not agree with you more i mean it speaks to cigars and you know and that's the thing you know people put so much effort and time you know, not even just the rollers, you know, like, like the people on the farms, people in the factories, you know, the rollers themselves. So much work goes into just making that cigar. And it's like, it is, it's a work of art. You know what it is? You know, it, it's a handmade product um, to have it stolen or to to have it otherwise. Like, I, like I, 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 I cringe, like, when I see, you know, shops post, like, oh, like, our store got robbed or, like, you know, uh, we had a fire you know, and the store burned down or like there was a flood and my inventory got ruined. And it's like, some people will be like, ah, oh, whatever. Like, it's just like, they'll get new stuff or whatever. But it's like, you think about it, like, it's not like an electronic store where it was made yeah. in some factory. You can't just print this thing out. It's yeah. not a machine. Yeah. Like, you know how much time went into making those cigars? I mean, maybe it's like the, maybe like people like us, we're just, we just love the, the, the science and the, and the romance of the industry too much. But it's like, yeah, you see that and it, it is heartbreaking. Uh, it is, you know, to to see that. I don't even look at it as so much as a waste, but it's just it's it's just disappointing, you know, that someone didn't get to enjoy those cigars that someone spent so much time on. Um, you know, there's you know th there's some cigars, you know, and I'm I'm sure you've been there too. Maybe you've just learned to to get past it, but like there's some cigars you get, and you're like, wow, this is so amazing. You have so much appreciation for it. You're like, I don't even want to smoke it because it's like I know I'm gonna smoke it. and It's gonna be gone. It's probably gonna taste great, but it's like it'll be gone just like that, you know, and it just you admire it so much um that's the crazy thing too about about cigars you, you get into like 
crazy stuff, and you have so much appreciation for it. I'm not a it. cigar hoarder. But no, see, and, and, and I'm not either. Yeah, yeah, I would rather smoke it and enjoy it and just – and even yeah. if it's the only one, I want to smoke it and enjoy it. He will put it on a shelf and stare at it. <laughs> that's, that's my tribute. So. <laughs> smoke it in flames, ashes. That's my yeah. tribute. The smoke is my tribute to the person that made it. Uh, there's very, very few cigars that I'll hoard for a while, and that's because I got enough of them. But <laughs> I, I go through cigars pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're there for. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they they were made to be smoked. They were made to be enjoyed. As long as long as you enjoy it when you smoke it, you know that that's all that matters. Um, I believe we had another question here yep. uh, from David Wayne. Amanda, can you ask class uh, which farm does Cabal come out of? Cigars. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I, I can't speak on behalf of Cabal. That's my brother's cigar. Um, so that's made in the Kellner Boutique factory. And um, I'm not 100% acquainted with the blend. So I, I, I cannot speak on behalf of that. Um, you know, talking a little bit about family, but also master blending or blending, if you will. My father always jokes that he's not a master. He's just a blender. So we're all just blenders. And some of, the, some of us are a little better. Some of us has a little more time at it than others, but um, the philosophy of my family, whether it's my father or what he has taught to his kids, it's about total palate stimulation. So the tobaccos come from different areas. The varieties are different varieties, different types, and they get uh, sown in different soils that provide different flavors as well. And the idea is to make a cigar that is well-balanced, a cigar that stimulates all areas of the palate and that's the philosophy of my family total palate stimulation and all the cigars that are blend have been blended under my father's wing and davidoff and whatever my brother is making we always try to make it of course a pleasant experience but it's not one-sided it's all complemented in your palate and you can have it just by itself and it's a great experience just by itself you, you don't know, need other other boosters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're nice. They go well together. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, interesting. You know, D- you know, Davidoff being kind of the prestigious brand that it is. Um, you know, obviously they offer you know cigars of a high quality. Um, now, when you guys are in that factory, you're in that process. You're ma- you're manufacturing cigars. You know, making sure that those cigars you know, are up to what they expect for their quality, for what they're going to offer that to be, you know, the price point that they carry, um, the reputation of the Davidoff name on them. You know, what is that quality control like in the cigar factory? I don't know if that's something that a lot of people talk about. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost you for a second. Can you repeat that? Oh, um, yeah, sorry. You're talking about uh, making it up uh, for the because it carries a price, so it has to have a standard. Can you repeat that question? Yeah, sorry. The question was, you know, what, tell me, well, just tell me a little bit about, you know, being in the factory, going through the quality control process, you know, in manufacturing cigars. You know, we talked a little bit about the rollers earlier and people who put that work into making those cigars, you know, you have to go through those cigars after and make sure that they live up to that quality. Uh, but sometimes maybe they don't, and, you know, you have to take those out and you have to, you know, either destroy them or whatever you guys do with them. Um, I'm sure that plays such a key role in, you know, you know, you make the cigar and then you have to make sure it, it, it's good enough, you know, to speak to, if you could speak to a little bit to that, that'd be really awesome. 
So, of course, one side is blending, right? And anybody with tobacco, inventory, different varieties or different suppliers can make a blend. That's easy. And anybody can make good blends and bad blends. That's that's not an issue. Uh, but once you hit the bad, the once you hit a good blend, the hard part is being able to uh, make it consistently over and over again. Right. Because everybody can make good blends, but then the next year the tobacco runs out, or the the weather was different, uh, different processes were different by the supplier, so the tobacco tastes different. So. It's being able to consistently make the same flavor profile and, of course, also the same quality in regards to construction and burn lines and all that. So quality control is the other key aspect. You need good tobacco. You need the romance. You need the blending. But the, you could say the Swiss side of Davidoff is uh, being able to engineer it always to perfection and always being able to make it over and over again the same flavor even if the tobacco is changing even if the raw material is changing so there's a blending department that actually weighs every single uh bag if you will or every single leaf in different amounts so that the roller always gets exactly the same amount of weight and the same amount of tobacco but those blends that are being made in the in the blending department every single time they're being made they have to be checked so there's people and uh, enjoying or smoking, trying the batch that is being made. And that's why also we like when the cigar rollers are able to enjoy the cigar that they're making so that they know what they're making and they know how it's supposed to taste. So if one day, by mistake, because we're all human, they receive one tobacco that's a little off, they can detect that it's a little off and it's not going to taste the same. So that batch gets has to be re-verified and they have to find which tobacco was the one that was off. But quality control in regards to construction, uh, there's a lot of quality points, quality control points. So after the cigar is made, at Davidoff, they check the, the cigar seven times, even before it goes to the packaging department or the resting department where you're going to age the tobacco for a couple months. So you will see that at the end of these seven times that cigar gets checked by weight, by structure, by diameter, by length, and all these things. And then there's a box at the end that of all the broken cigars. <laughs> there's a lot. And that's a, a moment that I always show to the visitors because that's like their aha moment. It's like, oh, my God, they actually break the cigars if they're not up to standard. And then I make them sit down or touch the cigars that are being rejected so that they see why they are being rejected. And it's minimal. It's like little things that you would you're like, well, but this is still a great cigar. They're still perfect. I would, I would smoke this. But they're in awe that just little minute faults, it's a rejection. And even with all those rejections, Davidoff is making quite a bit of cigars. Uh, it's less than 1% rejection. So the cigar rollers are very, very good. And after a cigar is made, anybody in packaging and distribution has the power to reject a cigar so, or take it out of the line. So that's a, a mentality. It's a culture of quality. And you, it's a mentality that you have to fix into the employee's uh, brain so that they realize that the cigar has to be perfect when the moment it comes out because they have to be loyal to the consumer and by providing the best product. 
and if they're loyal to the consumer by providing the most loyal product, then the consumer hopefully will be loyal back and keep purchasing and enjoying their cigars. So one of the things you know you mentioned there, you know, talking about the rollers smoking the cigars from the batch. You know, I think a lot of people kind of assume like, oh, well, you know, you sit, you know, a roller in the factory, you're rolling cigars all day. You know, they get to smoke it and that's like a perk or an enjoyment. It's also part of it's part of their job. It, it they should smoke what they're yeah. rolling so that way they they can like you said, they can detect, you know, hey, you know what? This cigar tastes funny. The 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 the, the tobacco's off. It, it's a little under fermented, or, or, or there's something not right here. And you know we do, you know do we want to keep rolling these? Like no, we we need to take that we need to take that tobacco out of rotation. Uh, that tobacco you know is not ready to be rolled. Um, yep. You know, and and I think that's there's a, some rollers. Yeah, there's some rollers that don't smoke the cigar, or they don't smoke every single cigar, but. Every single cigar that is being made is being enjoyed by somebody on, on the rolling floor or one of the supervisors every single day. And uh, back when my dad was owner and then president of Tabadom, Tabacos Dominicanos, the factory that makes Davidoff, uh, his door always stayed open. And one of the reasons why his door always stayed open is because anybody could go in. And if there's any problems, somebody can go in and address it. And you would not believe it wouldn't happen that often. It would happen maybe two or three times a year where I was was sitting in my dad's office and somebody, a roller would walk in and is like, try this, ingeniero, they call him ingeniero, engineer, because he was an engineer by uh, education. Ingeniero, try this. Am I, is it off? And my dad was like, it's a little off, you're right, let's check it. And he would stand up and then he would, or he would send somebody to go check the blank and see what was off with it. it, it it's, you have to be there, it has to be hands-on at all times. You cannot just write down a formula and give tobacco and cigars are going to be made. The cigars have to be perfect. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and it doesn't really matter what brand it is. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's a it's a six dollar cigar, if it's a forty dollar cigar. Uh, any factory that makes cigars, you know, they they have a level of expectation to whatever they make. Um, and like you said, there's a there's a target blend. You know, when you guys blend a cigar, and then okay, now it's time to produce it on a on a larger scale, being consistent with that. Uh, and not only being consistent with the blend, the way it tastes, and the full, you know, palate stimulation, like you mentioned before, but it's also, you know, the quality, the construction, the roll, it, you know, is it not, you know, not too tight, you know, there's there's no cracks in it. The wrapper, you know, the wrapper quality itself is on par with where it should be, um, and and there's so many different variables, I'm sure, that that happen too, you know, between you know when the tobacco's loose. And it's being rolled after they're rolled, and all and all these things that you know um, that go into it. It's you know I hear a lot of people compare it to like the wine industry. You know, it's like you said, like it's with, more complex. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and and you know, it's kind of a, a similar you know arena where you know you could have different you know your crops are different from year to year. Now you're making a cigar, you know whether you know you're making the 702 series, you know, uh, which someone smokes a lot of they expect it to taste a certain way and then you know they buy a box one year and they're like this doesn't taste the way that it has the last three years something's different you know someone could pick up on that it's the same thing with a wine like you know nicole's dad's a big big wine drinker and i know that it this is like things that he's talked to me about too like because he doesn't smoke cigars um and he's like you know there's a lot of wines i drink you know i drink over and over and over again and you know sometimes they taste better than than other bottles that i've had of the same wine and because you really can't get it you know, a hundred percent perfect. You know, these things are all, like you said, they're, they're, they're organic, they're grown, handmade. Um, 
you can you can be the best you can, but you, you'll never get it. I guess a hundred and ten percent exact the same every time. Um, well, that's what you strive for, and when you strive for that 120 percent, then you, you get don't close. Strive for, you strive for more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, you're absolutely right in the in the side of the variables and that it's handmade product. That's that's the hardest thing but when when i i like to compare it more to the champagne industry not so much to the wine industry of course there's champagne that have years and every year supposed to taste different you know but most champagnes or the moe for example the traditional one it's up to the cuvee the three different grapes the blend and every single year that champagne has to taste exactly the same and we we strive for it and with when you have that quality control and we have that many steps involved then and you have most importantly the culture of quality that everybody believes in it then you don't need the supervisor to be there 24 7 even though he's there because everybody else believes it it's not just the owner that believes it is everybody that believes in it and wants it to be perfect absolutely uh rick g asks does class smoke cigars from any other manufacturers this is a question that always gets asked either by us or someone in the audience every time we have someone on everyone wants to know everyone wants to know it's like (laughs) obviously people smoke a lot of stuff i was looking at one of uh, some of your interviews and every time it gets asked i was already prepared (laughs) but i'll 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 tell you i'll tell you what uh what i i actually always say um I, i won't mention uh specific cigars uh, I, but maybe I mean you, you're mentioning brands as a whole, but I do respect certain blenders, and I respect certain families, and you're friends with them, obviously. And I I do tend to uh, be more skewed to the, some families and their taste profiles or the tobaccos that they have, because every every family. Uh, not only do they have their own blender, their own taste profile, or their own uh, consumer that they want to hit, but they also have uh, tobacco or re- new regions or different um, farms that taste completely different or their own varieties of seeds. So there's there are certain brands out there that I don't particularly like just because the brand always tastes in that profile because of of the processes that they did in fermentation or in aging or the the particular tobaccos that they have available and it's what their brand represents uh, but i do um i mean if i'll say some like uh, for example i believe i can say this without getting into trouble i do respect a lot the placencia family mm. the placencia family mm. we actually um, buy a lot of tobacco from nicaragua from them uh of nicaragua it has tobacco from their family. Um, and I respect these families that are also started with tobacco and then they moved in, into cigars as well because it's almost like you start at the base and then you went to cigars. Some people start with cigars and then they went to tobacco. And it's, it's also right. But I, I like when somebody starts with tobacco and then they move up into cigars because they respect the leaf, they respect the soil. Um, and I respect a lot of different blenders. There's just some that I enjoy more than others. As it is my job when I was traveling to check out the competition. Uh, 
and I don't call them the competition. They're, they're my friends, but they they are the ones that definitely uh, are out there in the store, making events, occupying shelf space. And you have to see what's out there because if you only blend for yourself and you only blend with the tobaccos that you have available to yourself, then you will never branch out. And Davidoff in 2013 started branching out with Davidoff Nicaragua, Davidoff Escurio with Brazilian tobacco, Yamasa that has a brand new farm um, with also with Nicaraguan tobaccos. So I think that because we are able to taste what the market likes, what different consumers likes, what we're tasting, what our friends or competition have available, is that we are able to grow and become better and offer a wider selection to the people that enjoy Davidoff with the quality of Davidoff. You know, that's, it's a good... I, I did mention one name. <laughs> yeah, you did. That, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. You gave us one name. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, you know, so being a blender... You know, you, you actually raised two two questions I actually have. So, or maybe not questions, but just kind of follow-ups to, to what you said. You know, being a blender, you know, making cigars, you know, with the tobaccos that you have, you know, making cigars, you know, you know for Davidoff and all that. And this question does get asked to, to, to brand owners and, and other blenders and stuff like that. Like, we, I, like, I've asked this question to, you know, Cynthia Fuente, Nick Perdomo. You know, like, hey, well, who else's stuff do you smoke? And and they play it close to the vest, and I get it. They have a brand that they need to represent. But at the same time, it's like you really have to smoke a lot of other brands to understand, like, all right, well, you know, maybe you are, you know, you have a product you're putting on the shelf that is competing for shelf space with someone else. You need to know, you know, what, what, what flavor profile those other cigars have. What is that company shooting for? The quality that they have. You know, and and you have to kind of stack yourself against them to kind of know like where you stand, um, and I, I I imagine that that plays a huge role in what you do too. It's not only just manufacturing your own cigars and growing your own tobacco, but you need to stay up to date with everyone else's tobaccos as well, so that way you understand kind of like what you're going up against. So is that also just such a major part of you know your 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 day to day business you know in in a cigar factory? Uh, I'm looking behind my computer right now. Right now, behind my computer, there are three cigars from other brands. Mm. I am constantly smoking other people's stuff. And what's nice is that when you are in a position like mine, and for example, you go to IPCPR, PCA, or you go to different events, or you travel, uh, people want to, tr to give you a cigar to try and we're always swapping and changing and and it's it's fun because there's a certain amount of pride in giving a cigar that you blended to your competitor or your friend and then just swapping and then actually giving honest feedback to each other uh, because I would say that probably six seven out of ten times that I enjoy somebody else's cigar i write to them it's like hey i tried this good job or i didn't really like this and i gotta be honest with them you know because they gave me the cigar so that i could try it so to give them their honest feedback and it's 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 a friendship it's it, it's learning as well for me because i get to try new stuff and I don't, I don't have, I haven't tried every tobacco out there. Not cigar. I'm, I haven't tried every type of tobacco out there. I haven't tried the specialty farms from certain brands that I would wish to try. 
So it's always a lot of fun for me to try other people's stuff. And then they get to try our stuff and it's, it's a fun game. It's not a competition. It's a game. And being a blender, um, you know, you talk about trying cigars and, 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 and writing to people, you know, who other people's tobacco and cigars that you've tried and giving them feedback. Would you say that uh, when you have to give someone uh, a negative feedback, whether it's, you know, a lot of negative feedback or there's any kind of negativity, and you, you know, as you say, you present in a respectful way, like, hey, you know. Of course. Th- do you think people respect that more coming from you being like, you know, you know, someone who really knows the business and, and they really take that to heart? Like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I didn't pick up on that or, you know, yeah, we sh- maybe we should change that, you know, because I feel like when oh, you're blending I- your own cigars, maybe you maybe to you, you get to a blend that it, it makes a lot of sense. It tastes really good. Maybe you just have this certain um, arena of flavors and profiles you want to stay in. And then when someone from way outside who also grows tobacco detect something that maybe you don't maybe your palate gets so adjusted to what you're smoking that you, they the other people can pick up on each other's tobaccos in different ways and that really influences yeah. each other i think what helps is that as a blender uh you learn to be objective because um i never say that i don't like a cigar i try to describe the cigar as best as i can and then I will say, well, this is not particularly my flavor profile, but I see how it would be liked by somebody that likes this kind of flavor profile or this kind of market. Um, I, I try to be as objective as possible. And you always have to be objective uh, with yourself as well, because if you're not objective with yourself and you just always think that you're good, you're good and everything, you're, you're just a lot of bad things that you can do. And uh, there's been many, many blends where uh, you you try so many times and you're like, you know what? I think we hit something. I think we have something here. And then you hand it out to a couple of people to see people's opinions. And then three out of the five people will come back with like, I didn't like it. Hmm. And, and I don't mind that response because when, if, if they didn't like it, it's because for their, for their profile, they didn't like it. But that doesn't mean that the other two people liked it and the other two people are maybe the demographic that we want to hit you know so you you have to look at it from that objective side that what market are you trying to hit what uh flavor profile you're trying to hit because different markets different regions like different things and it's necessary because if davidoff only tasted one way then our market would be this small by providing a lot of different flavor profiles we're able to reach out to a lot more people i don't I don't care if you smoke that cigar today, that 702, and you say, I hate it. I don't care because I know other people like it. It's honestly, it's, it's great. I, ha- I haven't had one. Um, I don't think I've had this one. And it's, 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 it's delightful. It really is. It's really good. Um, the, you know, it's interesting. You know, let me uh, – Peel back the curtain is I'm gonna steal that from Coop. I know I'm stealing. I'm stealing one of his terms. I'm stealing one of his terms. I know, uh, but you know he he likes to kind of like get into like people's personal opinions and feelings and stuff. So let, let's let's play this little game here. So you talk about obviously being a blender and you blend stuff for a certain way. You know for Davidoff and you know for cigars and whatever that you, you guys that you guys are trying to sell. Now, on a personal level. In your own, you know, in your own enjoyment and stuff, you like. Is there a particular fra- flavor profile that you really like? It 
you really don't like that's very popular. Like, for example, let me give you an example. So, like, there's there's people out there who like cigars that are very pepper forward or strong in pepper and spice. It's just like that's all you taste in the cigar. Is there any profiles in particular that you're like, you can respect the art of the of the blend, but you just you just don't like it at all? Um, there are certain tobaccos that we use in blends that when I find them being used a lot in the cigar, like a high percentage, they I I personally feel like for at least for my palate they overpower and they unbalance the cigar. Uh, one example, I've my friends from Mexico know this. If some of them are listening. Uh, Negro San Andres is a tobacco that. I really like as a binder. I, I, I like it also as, as a wrapper or as one leaf inside the, the blend in the filler. But when you start getting into 30% of the whole blend is, um, it's Negro San Andres for me is too much personally, because for me, I start feeling like a residue on the top of behind my teeth in the top of the palate that I sometimes describe it like almost a little metallic. There's some tobaccos that give a little bit of a metallic taste, and it's normally right above on the top of your palate behind your teeth, mm. and you can you rub your tongue up there, and that's a taste that I don't like. There's certain tobaccos that, that give that, and when you use that tobacco in a lot of proportion, I think it overpowers the blend. I don't think it's bad because in small proportions, it's not metallic. It's almost like a nice little salty, that uh, minerally taste that almost boosts the blend. And in small proportions, like a little bit of salt in your food improves it. But when you add too much of it, not so great. Like Olor Dominicano. Olor Dominicano for me, when you hit over like 50%, there's no way I'm going to enjoy that cigar. That's why blends are there. And that's why I enjoy blends that have multiple tobaccos. And in the past, blends used to be four tobaccos. And then they started getting to five. And nowadays, you're seeing blends with six and seven tobaccos. So you're able to get a lot more complexity and not have any of the tobaccos really overpower one of the other. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that last part. I, I remember watching an interview you did with uh, the guys over at Boveda, and uh, you, you were talking about that too, how it it's almost like an evolution of cigars, really. You know, the cigars started out with less tobaccos, and now, you know, it's as they continue to evolve, there's more and more tobaccos being in, included in, in a particular blend. Uh, which dramatically, like you said, it changes the, the overall complexity of the entire experience. Um, the, uh, the, there's a segment we have on the show that I wanted to bring up with you, and uh, I think I know what one of your answers is going to be, but uh, it's our top three segment. It's a newer segment to the show. Uh, for you, I wanted to ask you your top three favorite blends that you've worked on of all time. If you had to pick three that you, you loved, you were static about what would those three blends be do they have to be in the market <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question i don't know uh you know what i'll allow it i'll allow it no i'll allow it but you have to tell us if it's not in the market you got to tell us a little bit more about it okay because the, the thing is that um when you ask that kind of question, I immediately start like go. My mind starts immediately going into limited editions of the past, <laughs> you know. So, and it's not necessarily that you know, not that I worked on it. I was maybe part of a project, or I was part of a, a marketing, or or I got to taste the blends two years in advance and get my opinion on it because it is a team effort. 
that there's not just one person in Davidoff doing right. everything. Right. Uh, but um, I wasn't working, uh, and I have to say, it, even as it's impossible to get it nowadays, I do have to say, it. I, I, w- I wasn't even working. I was still in high school. The first time I tried it was a 2006 limited edition uh, for the 100th anniversary of Zeno Davidoff, the Diadema. Mm. Diadema and Diadema Fina in both shapes. That's will forever be my favorite cigar I, I, I have ever enjoyed. And I had run out last year, but I found two more hidden somewhere in my family's house. So now I stole them. So I still have two more. <laughs> and I normally enjoy them on my birthday. But um, that, that's one of them. The, we don't have it so much in the market. 702 is going to uh, slowly um, be discontinued for now or you won't see it as much, but the 702 limited edition from 2009 was the first time that we worked with the 702 hybrid. So uh, that wrapper is very special, what you have right there. But the 2009 version of it, which was a limited edition, was amazing. And I love what the, what the 702 does to the cigars because um, it, it is an Habano type wrapper that when put in these traditional Davroff blends, you have the 702 Aniversario there. Yes. Annie number three? Yep. Annie number three. So the Annie number three is already, uh, for Davidoff terms, a medium body cigar. Um, even though for maybe the industry, it's on the lower end of the spectrum. But for Davidoff, it's about a medium bodied cigar. And when you add that wrapper on it, it becomes a lot more creamier and a lot more sweet. Uh, and the intensity goes up by a couple points one or two points depending on who you are but the anniversary number three is already a powerful blend so the wrapper doesn't change too much but when you put that 702 wrapper on the very light cigars like davidoff um like a grand crew that was only available in the in europe or the 2000 davidoff 2702 or davidoff number two which is the lightest cigar that davidoff makes this very powerful wrapper on a very very light cigar changes the cigar completely and gives it a nice creamy sweet tones almost like a caramel and i love the 702 wrapper and it, it was a passion project as well that creating a new a new wrapper and then if i have to mention something that is regular line production uh i've said already in the show that I, this has become one of my favorites the yamasa but um between the Yamasa and the Puro de Oro, that it has been discontinued. The Puro de Oro and the Yamasa, again, another passion project. The Yamasa wrapper and the Yamasa uh, soil adds more sweetness and a little bit of spice that is quite pleasant and adds a nice little salty boost to the, to the cigar. And maybe you've noticed a trend, but I, I tend to go for creamy, sweeter cigars. They're still balanced in the back and have a little spice. I am. I don't like overpowering pepper. I don't like overpowering uh, notes of like wood or chocolate in the back. I like it to be almost like a, not a dark chocolate, but like a maybe 70, 75% chocolate. Yeah. And uh, with a little bit of creaminess. I like the sweet tones because the sweet tones definitely uh balance out the front you find a lot of cigars out in the market that are overpowering in the back and people think it's very flavorful because it's very powerful but a cigar is not flavorful because it's strong a cigar is flavorful because it can be complex so that's what i like about 
the sweetness because sweetness balances the stereotype of strong cigars in the back. Now that you guys switch, <laughs> oh, we suddenly noticed, did that yeah. while you were talking. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely that um, that wrapper makes a huge difference on it, on that blend. I definitely taste it That's being exactly creamier. Exactly the same blend. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same blend. The only difference is the wrapper. You're talking about basically five percent of the total weight of the cigar. That's the only difference. And it's interesting because, you know, it still has the the soft creaminess to it, but that wrapper just adds a little bit more edge to it that just gives it mm-hmm. a different flavor, a different profile. I uh, it, it is. I almost taste a little bit more salt. With yeah. The, with that wrapper. Yeah. But it's it's good. It does kick There's it up a little a bit more stimulation in the front of the palate. There's a little more sweetness, a little bit more more salty. It. The Aniversario line has a high percentage of Piloto, which is hence hits in the back at like over 40% of Piloto. So when you when you add that sweetness, it balances out the, the thing in the back. And it's already a very balanced cigar, still, but this adds another dimension in the front, which is quite nice. So you said that the 702 series is going to be discontinued. It's uh, Davidoff is going through a moment where... Um, it is basically uh, it just they just launched the Davidoff Dominicana, right? And the Davidoff Dominicana is uh, only a two-year production, so it's almost it's like a regular production, but like limited regular production. Mm-hmm. So Davidoff is going to start coming through these uh, cycles of products, so that they don't get old, and in, in in the market, so that every time you're able to revitalize the brand. Because one of the issues that's, go- that's, that's happening is that um, the market is moving into what's new. What's new, there's so many limited editions, and everybody asks for what's new. So uh, one of the jobs or one of the things that Davidoff really wants to do is bring back love to the previous line. So that's why you've seen a lot of older cigars being brought, brought back that are able to bring love to the white label. Because the white label has been around since the 90s. Mm-hmm. That Davidoff Anniversary Number Three was made in 1993. That was the first time that was launched at the market. And when people always have what's new, what's new, what's new, they forget a little bit about what's the old and why it was so good. So Davidoff goes through cycles to revitalize the brands that already exist. Um, yeah, one of the Davidoffs I actually had recently that I, I just can't stop thinking about. It, it was really good. Was um, I was at Davidoff of Geneva in Las Vegas when we were in town for the trade show, and uh, they had the 110th anniversary uh, mm-hmm. blend there, and that one was really, really good. And now, I actually, I have never had any of the Chef's Editions, but I'm seeing more and more of the Chef's Edition popping up. That's next on my radar. Um, yep. but yeah, I think but, it comes out in two weeks. Yeah, I think it's two, yeah, it, it's coming soon, and uh, I got to get my hands on it when it when it does. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you talk about a little bit about, you know, I know Davida has done like a lot of special editions or like limited regular productions. Uh, I know like being down in Tampa, for example, you know, I know that um, there's Davidoff in Tampa and, and, uh, and Jeff at Corona is a, is a Davidoff retailer and does a lot with Davidoff. Um, and he has, he has his own, you know, Florida sun-grown Davidoff blend. Uh, there's the Tampa exclusive. There's so many different exclusives and blends you know in the in the davidoff world so to speak um and it's crazy to think you know that you can just 
it's like an infinite amount of possibilities, really, I guess, when it comes to cigar blending. Um, we have a question here from David Wayne. Will Davidoff use a Corojo blend? Well, I can't tell you that, but um, <laughs> what Davidoff does do is... Um, because Davidoff, Otzinger Davidoff owns a lot of different um, brands. Mm -hmm. So you have Avo under the Davidoff, Otzinger Davidoff umbrella. You have Camacho. So Corojo will always be front and center for the Camacho brand. Mm -hmm. um, but you never know. Um, you never know. It might one day come out in a limited edition. But the Corojo is a very, very powerful seed with a lot of flavor very distinct flavor and we don't we don't want to take that flavor profile from the camacho line and we don't want it to be appropriated by by another brand that you know that might cannibalize the other brand so you got to also keep the blends from every line separate you cannot mix them it's actually a very interesting point that you bring up you know because in in davidoff's not the only one to do it there's a lot of you know companies out there that that have different brand names under their umbrella and you know you have different lines and different brands and you try to keep them all distinguished in their own way um, and I feel like that also can be a challenge too you know when you have multiple um, you know brands under that umbrella and you're blending cigars you're trying to while you know like for example you know Davidoff's a little bit more like A and Camacho's a little bit more like B and you don't really want to intermingle that too much because you want people to gravitate that towards a brand and that's i guess that's where the, maybe the corporate side comes into it like you were talking about before it's like as a blender you're like well i'm blending cigars and i want it to taste right or whatever but you know they might be like well we want that blend to be more over here um so let's not do that for this and you kind of have to you have to play that game with them on that too yeah because uh, as a blender or uh, from being part of a blending team or being part of people that get input into the blends uh the, you when you have something like yamasa that you have like a new soil that comes out or a new variety or a new flavor profile that becomes available to the market and it's something new then you become inspired and you can make a blend around it there's uh and and you can make really good blends out of it and the market accepts it and corporate accepts it you know switchman says awesome you have a new thing we have a new marketing campaign around this new product and this new tobacco that you were able to create. 702, new tobacco, we're able to create a whole new marketing thing around this. But sometimes it goes the other way around, where it's corporate, where it's Switzerland saying, we want to hit this demographic, we want this flavor profile, example, Escurio, we wanna use Brazilian tobacco because we think we're missing this in the market. So then they pitch it to the factory and then the factory has to go and find the tobacco and start making blends for that. So it's almost like a different thinking cap where uh, sometimes it's the factory leading the charge with the blend creation. Sometimes it's the marketing team or the sales team saying, hey, we need this. Can you create this? And then it's up to the factory to be able to satisfy that demand or that need. And it, it, is, it is harder when, when marketing says, hey, we want something that has never been done by us. Uh, and you have to go out there and, and find it. But it's also a new adventure and it's a new challenge. And as a blender, you have to put on a different thinking cap uh, and always respecting the other brands and the, all the other cigars that you have made so that they don't overlap. You have to make sure they're all 
at least decently different in flavor profile because I don't want somebody to move from uh, Davidoff Aniversario to Davidoff Yamasa. I'm just moving the same person inside the company and the same consumer. I want somebody that has never tried Davidoff to come into the Davidoff world and enjoy what Davidoff has to offer. We want to expand uh, our market share. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up here is um, in terms of tobaccos and, and whatnot. There's a there's a, another line that Davidoff makes that is one of my favorites. Um, I love it so much. And that's the uh, the late hour, the, the Winston Churchill late hour, uh, which I think is a fantastic cigar. I, I've smoked a ton of those over the years uh, since they came out. And um, that particular cigar is interesting because the, the the wrapper tobacco is aged in Scotch barrels, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one filler, the Condega. Oh, the filler. Okay, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, the Condega filler is aged in, in a barrel for six months. So I find that concept very interesting. Like I know the Perdomos, you know, do that. I know a lot of people do that. You know, they they age the tobaccos in, you know, Scotch or bourbon barrels. Um, that that's a very interesting practice. Now, in what way does that really affect the fermentation process of the tobacco? Is that more something that happens secondary? Is that a primary aging, or it, like that's yeah, that happens at at the end. Okay, that's you could say is the last thing that happens before the tobacco goes to the blending department, and then goes the cigar goes to be made crafted so the tobacco has already gone all the fermentation process has already undergone the traditional normal aging process and then after it's gone through all of that then the filler tobacco gets put in barrels and it's just the barrel and just a little bit of water to so that fermentation happens a little temperature happens it's almost like another fermentation process that happens inside the barrels and every month you're taking it out, you're seeing how the tobacco is evolving, you're flipping it, you're basically reducing the temperature so that it doesn't spike too much, so the tobacco doesn't get ruined, and then you put it back. And then if, at about five, six months, the tobacco is pretty much ready. Tobacco has the ability to absorb aromas from anything. That's why, for example, if you're in a humidor, it's good to uh, separate all the normal to cigars from the flavored cigars so that the aromas don't mix. That's why... Um, most people in the cigar industry don't wear perfume or don't don't have oils or ointments in their hands because any anything that touches a tobacco the tobacco can absorb that and that's why i don't have really candles here or anything that might change the aroma of all my humidors around me because i i'm a purist <laughs> that's why i keep the cellophane on the cigars so that the cigars don't rub up against each other so that the tobaccos are not absorbing the oils from the cigar next door. And that's why humidors have separators, because tobacco has the ability to absorb. And one last thing, that's why when you go to factories, you don't see precious woods and precious paint that, that add aroma. It's all um, uh, non-odor, so that the tobacco doesn't absorb this. So when you ferment the tobacco in these barrels, the tobacco is able to absorb the aromas from the barrel from what used to be the scotch or whiskey inside or the bourbon or whatever you had in that barrel previously and also the wood. And I've tried tobacco that after two months, it's already absorbed a lot of aroma from the barrels. But 
we do give it up to six months just in case and so that we're sure that it's impregnated with the aroma and the taste. And when you taste Condega 100% by itself, normal aging, normal fermentation, and then you taste another cigar that was aged 100% Condega, but 100% of the cigar was aged in a bourbon barrel, they taste night and day. They're completely different. The one in the bourbon barrel or the scotch barrel is going to be much more powerful in intensity. It's going to be spicier, also a little sweeter, and it's completely different smoke. So it's like having a completely different variety at your disposal for blending with a little bit more work. Hmm. It, it, it's interesting. You know, you bring up a lot of good points there. And it's funny, I, I John's not on the show tonight, but a lot of the times he um, – this is something I, I thought of right away. He does a, a soap review segment on the show from time to time that he's, uh, he's very into. Um, and he talks about, you know, the aromas and the, and the scents on, on, on the hands and all that. So it's funny. It, maybe, maybe this is more of a lighthearted joke, but are you, are you also insinuating that you use a lot of unscented soaps too? So that way that doesn't influence any cigars <laughs> that you might be holding. <laughs> <laughs> I, that so, question is for him. Cause I know he would have asked that shampoo, question. My shampoo <laughs> is very basic. My conditioner is very basic. Um, I, I don't use anything that really has aromas and uh, even when it comes to like deodorant and perfume, perfume, I don't remember the last time I used perfume. I think maybe for like one party where I knew I wasn't going to be smoking a cigar, you know, I, yeah. I just don't want other aromas interfering. I'm always smoking cigars. So I, I, right. I, I, if you, if you give me a perfume bottle that will last me years, I mean, I'll probably die. 50 years from now, I'll still have perfume inside because it's just something I don't use. But I'm a purist, and, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't like any uh, of, of those are extra aromas that are interfering with my experience. Yeah, it's, it's it's something that's another thing that we you know we don't really talk a lot about uh, on the show, and, it, and it's a good point to bring up you know with others too, uh, just the outside influence of other aromas and things that can affect the cigars. Um, well, yeah, I mean, even on a day-to-day use, if your environment is being uh, exposed to different scents, right, it might throw off your taste or your smell. So you're kind of keeping this pure environment, which always allows you to be in tune to your taste of tobacco. I, yeah, I guess and I, I said it before that, like, you know, I have to be objective. And the moment other aromas and other things or start interfering, then I'm not being consistent in the way that I enjoy my cigars. You cannot be a taster to for quality and all these things if there is a variable that is changing your aromas or your perception. So like when I'm gonna go smoke a cigar for work, which is most of the time, people will tell me, it's like, you don't look like you're having fun. You're not smiling or you're not enjoying it. And I'm enjoying it, but you'll see my face being very serious and I'm just concentrating. Even if I'm like enjoying at a at a bar or something, like I would just get serious for a moment because every time I take a puff, I'm analyzing. Uh, it's, it's not conscious. I just automatically start analyzing the cigar. And uh, being able to maintain that consistency when you're trying cigars every single time is important when your job is to try out cigars and make sure that they're always perfect yeah i mean i I would say that's it's a huge part that's very important um you know and i i can just i can picture you now just being in an element and smoking and people being like wow he's so serious and it's like no i'm just just thinking (laughs) 
Just thinking about the smoke. Yeah. Thinking about the flavor. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I'm. I'm. I don't like routines. I like being. I like being very free when I do certain things. But there's there's certain routines that I keep, and it's like, for example, if I'm going to enjoy a cigar for work, like I need to have uh, brush my teeth. If I ate, uh, if I ate something, I need to brush my teeth like 30 minutes before. Drink water. Make sure I'm on, on a on a full stomach. And I need that all the environment has to be like perfect so that when I'm going to rate this cigar for work, I, I need to make sure that everything is as perfect as can be so that the only variable is the cigar. So would you call yourself a perfectionist? Uh, when it comes to this, yes. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to this, yes. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's Klaus, uh, it's been a great time. We've had a, a great conversation, and uh, you know, you've, you've given so much information and educated so much. Uh, we really appreciate you being on here with us tonight. Um, as we, you know, end the end and wrap up the show, uh, you know, we just we want to thank you again for being here. Uh, we appreciate you know you taking the time, and uh, you know we hope you come back in the future. There's always opportunity for people to come back. Um, but with that, uh, next week, I'm sorry. First, we have Saturday. Um, Saturday, we have a, another episode of the Spare Notes series with myself and William Cooper. Um, where the, I don't want to give away it. Sometimes I tease the topics, but I don't think I'm going to, um, just, just, just tune in Saturday night <laughs> at 9 PM Eastern and, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, next week we have Travis Lord, who's going to talk to us a little bit more about marketing and a lot of the other things that he does in the cigar industry. It'll be very interesting. Um, followed by Abe Flores from PDR. And then the end of the month, we are going to round out with Scott Pierce from the PCA which would be a very interesting show. And then we do have a special guest on the 25th. We do. I was getting to that. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Ruined it. Uh, we'll be doing a special episode on the 25th, and that will be uh, 3 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook and YouTube platforms. And as always, all of our episodes will be available anywhere podcasts can be found if you're listening at home, uh, wherever you find your podcast. All of these episodes are in the same spot, including the Spare Note series. I I have to clarify that because I got a couple of questions on that. All the episodes are under the Smoke and Tobacco uh, umbrella. Uh, and on the 25th, we will have Jeremiah Mirafell, uh, who will be on. And we're going to talk about uh, all the things that he and his family has done, including Cameroon tobacco. So um, that'll be a very interesting episode as well. Yep. So stay tuned for that one. Um, other than that, I think that's all we got going on so far. Uh, class. You are the guest. Thank you for being on. Anything that you want to say or anything you want to promote while you're while you're here, absolutely, the floor is yours. No, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on uh, again. Because kind of like how I started, I was very excited to be uh, here uh, when I saw you guys in Vegas because, of course, you guys got engaged in Vegas. And that's one thing that we do have in common. Where I got married in Vegas. And I don't know. I think you guys are going to try, try to get married in Vegas. Is that yeah. right? We are, yeah. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I got married in Vegas because uh, IPCPR at the time has kind of been like part of my life and my family. And every single time we've gone and every single year we've gone to uh, support and uh, the industry in one way or another. And you have no idea how happy I was to see that somebody got engaged there. Now they want to get married there. And we have that thing in common. 
and your, your last name is Tabaco, which is even <laughs> more awesome. So you guys are doing a great, a great job, and I support this kind of environment, this kind of podcast. So if you guys ever need anything from me, please reach out to me. I would love to come back, and I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a special moment. Um, you know, getting engaged out there—that was the place. You know, it wasn't just because of the trade show, but that, that definitely I knew made it more special. <laughs> uh, that was the place that I wanted to do it, but. Yeah, and uh, it's be, fitting. Be, yeah, it was fitting, it's but fitting also being us. able to share that experience, you know, with everyone who was at the show too. Like that was so awesome. Uh, so many people that you know we all know and talk to, but you know, it's very rare that everyone or mostly everyone is together under you know one roof, uh, you know, as an industry. So it was really cool to share that with everyone. And uh, yeah, we're we're looking at a Vegas wedding as well. So maybe I'll hit you up for some uh, recommendations or some tips. Uh, anything, any, any information on that front you want to share? We can talk privately about that. Um, <laughs> I can text you about that. Just have a blast. It's Vegas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I share that feeling. Just being able to share that kind of very special moment, intimate moment with the rest of the industry. It is what the industry is about. So you guys get it. And that's what makes me happy to be here. Absolutely. You guys love it. Yeah, we do. We do. We love it so much. Well, stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll talk to you after the show. But, guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening at home. And we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Bye.